Uh, every time, every single time I'm sitting down there and I'm praying, God, I need help. This is, this is, I can't do this on my own. What in the world am I getting myself into? I'm going to stand up in front of over a hundred people and, and, uh, they're going to sit there and listen to me. I'm sitting there shaking and, and they say that if you, as a preacher, if you ever stop getting nervous, that you forgot what it is you're, you're called to do. Because uh, you're standing up here and you're, you're standing in, in the stead of God and, and he's preaching his word. That's a big deal. But I say that to say this. I told Johnny as we were sitting there listening to the first song. I said, I'm more nervous today for Brandon and Pound than I am for myself. Uh, so when I pray here in just a second, I want to pray for him because he's probably walking up to a pulpit somewhere there right now in front of a crowd of people he don't know. Uh, so I, I know he's probably as as nervous as he can be, so we'll be praying for him. But we're going to be in Matthew 10, and we're going to start a new section of Matthew. Uh, we've been in the miracle section, I would call it, and, and going through the different miracles that Jesus performed, showing who he is. He's been around multitudes upon multitudes of people. Everywhere he went, crowds are gathering around him. But now he shifts away from the miracles, and I'll say it this way, to the men that he's going to call. He shifts from the multitudes, the crowds, the thousands, and he's going to start focusing his entire attention on just a few men. I'm going to say that again, because we've seen the, the multitudes of people that are following him. Jesus was never about a large crowd. He shifts his focus from the multitudes to the few. And here in this passage, we're going to meet those few for the very first time. These are his disciples, and I've I've entitled this sermon, as I look at these disciples, I've I've entitled the sermon, Who Are These Guys? They are 12 ordinary men. That's who he gets. That's who he calls. That's who will be his focus for the next, I mean, we're going to go through the rest of Matthew, and his focus will be on these 12 men. And and the whole point of the sermon today is that Jesus uses ordinary, common, everyday men to do extraordinary things. And I like that because you know who's ordinary? (laughs) This guy right here. (laughs) And maybe you guys don't agree with me, but you know who else is ordinary? Every single one of you out there. So if you are ordinary today, you are qualified to do extraordinary things for the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's stand together. I'm going to read four verses to you today as we look at 12 ordinary men. Twelve ordinary men. And you'll see where I got this title in just a second, but uh, follow along with me. Just going to look at four verses today. Verse 1, Matthew 10, verses 1 through 4. Verse 1 says, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the publican, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. That's the twelve ordinary men. Let's pray together, and then we'll study these four verses. Father, we thank you for your word, and, and it would make me even more nervous if I got up here and had to come up with something on my own. But God, I'm thankful that as I stand up here, all that I have to say will be within these four verses. And these aren't my words, these are your words. So God, help me to be clear, help me to uh, show the authority of this passage. And God, I I pray that you would help us all to see that you take regular, everyday, common, ordinary men and women and do extraordinary things in their lives. And God, that is great news for all of us here today. Because none of us are wise. None of us are are extraordinary. We're all just a bunch of ordinary people. And that makes us qualified for you to use. And God, I do pray for Brandon. God, as he is in pound right now preaching, I'm proud of him. And I pray, God, that you would help him as he may be standing right now to preach. Please use him greatly there. I know he's prepared. God, now help him to present the truths that you've given him to, to present. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. God had an enormous, uh, monumental task to accomplish when Jesus ascended into heaven. 
You understand that when Jesus came into this earth, that's the Christmas uh, story, he came to earth, he was born of a virgin, he lived a perfect life, and then he went to the cross and he died uh, for, uh, not for his own sin, because he had no sin, but he died for our sin in our place in our stead. And he accomplished our salvation upon the cross. And then he was buried and he rose again on the third day. And then he ascended into heaven. And I love that passage in Acts where he ascends into heaven. And, and then he goes to the right hand of the throne of God on high where he is seated right now. And when he ascended into heaven, he got to heaven and, and he, he was, uh, the, there was an enormous task to be done on earth. I mean, a monumental task of taking that message of the gospel to the whole entire world. That's a God-sized task. That everybody in the world needs to hear that salvation is available and found only by believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a message that you have heard if you're saved. That's a message that you need to hear if you're not saved. That Jesus died for our sins. He was buried rose again on the third day. And that all you have to do is believe in Him and you can be saved. Everybody needs to hear that. So the God-sized task of making sure that everybody hears that is going to go to who? Who does God decide will take that message to the world? And God had several ways that He could have done it. And I just wrote down a few of those ways that in my mind, in my wisdom, that I would have done it. How to get that message to the world. Here's, what I, here's some things I would have done. I would have got some angels to do it. I mean, these angels, are, have you ever read about angels in the Bible? You can go through the Christmas story and see how the angels showed up. They're bright. They're, they're beautiful. They're perfect. They do everything Jesus says when Jesus says it. If Jesus says jump, angels say, how high? They do whatever he says. I would have used angels. Angels go out and spread the good news to everybody in the world. Angels can fly. Angels can be here one day and there the next. Angels can speak any language they want and not have to learn it. Send out the angels to the world. But God didn't send out angels. I thought, here's, here's another idea that I had. I would ride it in the sky. Our sky is beautiful and people look up in the sky all the time. You walk out in the mornings, you look up in the sky. You, you see the stars in the sky. You look up and you, you're all the time looking up in this bright and beautiful sky. All God had to do was take his finger and write the gospel of Jesus Christ in the sky. And every time anybody looked up, they would say, wow, there's the gospel. And the whole world could have saw it. Good idea, Josh. You guys would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got another one. <laughs> this is how my mind thinks. He could have took a megaphone. And I know he doesn't need a megaphone, but this is how my mind works. He could have took a megaphone from heaven and every Sunday at 11 o'clock on the dot, he could have proclaimed with his own voice the gospel so the world, a whole world heard it at that time. And he could do it every single Sunday that it woke everybody up who wanted to sleep in for church today. They would have heard it. I mean, you don't have to go to church. Just listen to it from God's voice from heaven. Here's the gospel. That's a good idea. Let God tell everybody. I got another one. One more and I'll be done. He could have put a Bible in everybody's home. Dropped it in there like Amazon drops our presents at our doorstep. He could have done it faster. He could have, done, he could have put it on everybody's doorstep. Here's a Bible in your language where you can read it. And everybody in the world has a Bible. The jungles and the cities and the countries and the mountains. Every household, every person has a Bible that drops down from heaven. Amazon into their arms. He could have done that. But he didn't do that. He didn't have angels. He didn't ride in the sky. He didn't use megaphones. He didn't put Bibles in everybody's home. What did he do? I'm building to this. He entrusted this task, his work to be done on earth, to people like you and me. I'm no angel. My mom may say I am, but I'm not. <laughs> we don't ride it in the sky. We don't megaphone it from the heavens. And we don't put a Bible in everybody's home. We aren't perfect. But God chose to use men and women to do this task for Him. And not just any men and women. He chose common men and women. He chose not the best, not the elite. He didn't go... It's like you're picking teams. And I, I used to hate picking teams. I used to hate when people would pick teams and I'm sitting out there waiting for them to pick me. <laughs> you know, Because I can tell what they think about you when you're picking teams. You've got your two captains out there and they're looking out and they're saying, I pick him first and I pick him first and I pick him second. And you're sitting there saying... You know, I, I, when am I going to go? And he was the last man standing. 
And they pick always, who do you pick? No, nobody ever picks the worst first, do they? I don't do that. When I'm picking teams, I'm looking around. I want the tallest and the strongest and the best. That's, that's my team. But Jesus looks out and he doesn't pick the tallest and the strongest and the best and the most elite and the smartest and the scholars and the, the highest of the people in the world. He looks down and he says, I want to pick the lowest of the low, the most common, the most everyday, the most ordinary men that I can find. And that will be who I will send out into the world to tell everybody the good news of Jesus Christ. He doesn't choose the extraordinary men. He chooses the ordinary men to do this. The least likely to do this task. And that's what he's doing here in this passage. Jesus has been doing it all by himself up to chapter 10. Preaching, healing, all by himself. The crowds are getting bigger and bigger and swarming all around him. And he says there at the end of chapter 9, this harvest is plenty. It's too much for one man to do it. So I need some laborers into that harvest. I need to send somebody out to tell this crowd, this multitude, the good news. So here in this passage we're looking at today, he handpicks 12 men who will play a huge role in the rest of Matthew. And not just in the rest of the book of Matthew, because we're going to see all 12 of these men pop up in the book of Matthew, just chapter after chapter after chapter. We've got to get to know them here if we're going to follow them the rest of the way. But these men play a monumental role in all of history. These are some of the greatest men that ever lived. But what's the greatest thing about them is, I think the greatest thing about the 12 disciples is that they are ordinary men. And we'll see that. They're men like us. William Barclay, a scholar, said these guys were, get this, I wrote down these quotes, these were ordinary men. John Calvin said these men were men of obscurity and of no reputation at all. John MacArthur wrote a whole book called 12 Ordinary Men. These guys were not special. They were not elite. They were everyday, common, ordinary men that God chose to do an extraordinary task. And the world will look at them, and we'll look at them today, and we'll say the only way they accomplished what they did was because God was with them. And may the world look at us and say the only explanation for them is that God is with them. So let's look at this passage. I broke it down into... And uh, you guys want to guess how many points I broke it down into? Anybody want to give it? Just throw it out there. Anybody got any ideas? There you go. You guys know me so well. Nobody said two. Nobody said five. Everybody said three. So I broke it down into three points. One day I'm going to throw it just to throw a wrench at you. It'll be, it'll be out there, like ten points. And, yeah, and everybody will leave. <laughs> everybody will leave. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> yeah. So let's look at these, these three, and, and, and when I say three points, three headings, it's just my way of breaking it down into pieces so we can all understand it. That's how my mind works. I've said this before, you don't eat a pie, maybe you do, I don't, the whole thing at once. When you're going to eat a pie at Christmas, you're going to take it and you're going to split it into six pieces, eight pieces, some of you teenagers are saying one piece, <laughs> but when I'm looking at a passage of scripture, I'm breaking it down so I can... I can consume it myself. So that's what we're doing here. But point number one, I want to show you the selection of the 12, how they were selected. Uh, Jesus had a very big decision to make here in verse 1. Uh, he, he, and it's a very important decision. Uh, it's a, I would call it a landmark decision. Who would be his disciples? Who would be the 12 that would be closest to him? He had to get this right. I mean, this is, this is a huge decision. Have you ever had to make a huge decision? And so Jesus is going to make a, a monumental decision here in verse 1. He has to get this right. Who will be my 12th? So let me ask you this. If you're going to make a, a huge decision, I don't know what you may be buying a car, maybe having children, maybe where you're going to go to school, maybe who you're going to marry, maybe what church you're going to go to. These are, these are huge decisions. How do you make that decision? The first thing you do before you make any big decision is you pray about it. And before Jesus made this decision, guess what he did? He prayed about it. And I can prove that to you. Turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Same story, different gospel. Luke chapter 6. And I've had to take these different stories because they're in each of the gospels other than John. And I've had to, to put these stories together. But Luke chapter 6 verse 12. Look what it says. I love hearing those pages turn. Luke 6, verse 12. 
And it came to pass in those days that he, being Jesus, went out into a mountain to pray, and he continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, verse 13, he then called unto him his disciples. The first thing he does when he's getting ready to make this huge decision is he goes to pray. He had been down around the crowds, and they're all flocking around him. If you've been with us, you know that everywhere he goes, he's got thousands of people right behind him. If he goes to, even if he goes to where he's staying at Peter's house, they follow him, and they're at the doorstep waiting on him when he comes out. He can't get away from the crowds. So what is he going to do? He has a huge decision to make, and he can't pray with thousands of people all around him. So he has a mountain that he goes up to, a spot that he goes up to throughout the Gospels. And he goes up there to, to pray. It's a common thing for him. Prior to his baptism, he prayed. Prior to to here, making this decision, he prayed. Right before he died, what did he do? He prayed. And it says here in Luke 6 that he prayed, continued all night in prayer. This was not, now I lay me down to sleep. He prayed all night long. He endured through the night. There was effort. There was, he was going to be awake and, and he was going to persevere. He probably, if he went up uh, as, as the, the outline goes, as the storyline goes, he probably was up 10 to 12 hours praying over this decision. He's praying to God. So this is an inter-Trinitarian conversation. The Son is reaching out to the Father and what is he praying for? I like this. If you can imagine Jesus in the mountain by himself, nobody else around him, on his knees, praying unto his Father with words that can be heard, audible words, reaching out to the Father. And what is he asking for? He's asking to know, who do you want me to pick? I need to know your will. Jesus said repeatedly, I came to do not my will, but the Father's will that is in heaven. So I don't want to choose who I want to choose. I don't want it to be, I don't want to get this wrong. I want to do what's right and what's holy and what's perfect. So I want to do what I need to do and go to the Father and say, who do you, who do you choose? I need to know your will. This is part of his humiliation. That he has to go to the Father and seek his will like the rest of us do. So he goes to the Father, who do you want me to choose? He's seeking guidance. He's seeking direction. He wants his will to align with the the Father's will perfectly. And that's how we pray. Understand this. When we pray, we are seeking to align my will with the Father's will. I don't want to change his will. I want to know his will. What does God want here? Watch this, I'm not going to pray, if you're, a, if you're a kid looking to figure out who you're going to marry, I'm not going to say, God, please let me marry this guy right here. Or please let me marry this girl right here. My prayer will be, who do you want me to marry? I want my will to align with God's will. Where do you want me to go to church? And I'm going to sit there and pray, oh, please let me go to the fun church. <laughs> I want to go to the church that God wants me to go to. I want to marry who God wants me to marry. I want to have a career that God wants me to have. What job do you want me to have? What do you want me to major in in college? You need to be praying about these big decisions. Do I need to move? What what do you, I mean, just all the decisions that we make, it needs to be uh, persevering and enduring in prayer. What does God want me to do? If Jesus needed to pray like that, you better believe we all need to pray like that. So here he is. And then in, in Luke 6, it says that he was up, up there all night, continued in prayer all night to God. Verse 13, and when it was day, he comes down from the mountain. I like that. God answered his prayer. He comes down from the mountain, and he knows exactly who he's going to pick. There's no wavering in him at all. There's no him sitting there thinking, hmm, should I pick that guy or that guy? When he comes down, he knows exactly who he's going to pick. And he comes down from the mountain. You can go back to Matthew 10 if you want to. But he comes down to the mountain. There's large crowds all around him. Thousands of people at the bottom of that mountain. And he comes down and he calls his disciples out. It says in Matthew 10, verse 1, And when he had called unto him. You see the word called? And you can go to Mark 3, same story. It says he called unto him. Luke 6 says he summoned them. He called them. So he stands up in the front of thousands of people. This is so good. Just picture it in your mind. 
And there's thousands of people. And he stands up in front of them all, and he starts naming off the twelve. I pick you. I pick you. I pick you. I pick you. I'm sure some of these guys are sitting there saying, Me? Why me? This guy's better than I am. And that word call, that's repeated over and over in the Gospels, is a word that means come be face to face with me. So he didn't just point them out. He said, you come here. It's like when you're picking teams, when you're, when you're doing, uh, playing basketball or playing uh, wiffle ball in the churchyard. They don't stay over there. When you pick them, they come and stand on your side. So he picked them and they came over to his side. And they stood beside him. He summoned them. He called them. Again, this was his choice. <laughs> he didn't stand there and say, I need a volunteer. He didn't stand there and say, if you want to go with me, raise your hand. He didn't take resumes. He didn't put it in the bulletin. That's what we do. When we need help, we put it in the bulletin. And everybody completely overlooks it. <laughs> there was no applications. There was no recommendations. In John 15, he actually says, you have not chosen me, but I chose you. I like what Paul said in Galatians 1. He says, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, he called me by his grace. He pointed me out and said, you, I choose you. I call you. You come over here to me and be with me, face to face with me. And they came. <laughs> like they had a choice, right? They didn't come kicking and screaming. They, they went. They wanted to go. They willed themselves to go. But I believe, and this is not scripture here, but I believe that if they had said no, you say, would he have went on to somebody else? If John looked at him and said, who are you kidding? I got fishing to do. But Jesus said, okay, then next guy. Did he have plan B? No, I believe that if one of them had said no, and they didn't, that he would have done them like he'd done Jonah. That when Jonah told God no, God said, we'll see about that. God told Jonah, go that way. And Jonah got on a boat and went that way. And God said, you think you can get away from what I want you to do? I called you to come and do what I want you to do. You can't run from that. Jonah got tossed off a boat. Get this, this is great. Tossed off a boat. God says, well, go pick him up. And well goes and picks him up. It's like an Uber. Just went and picked him up. <laughs> and guess what the whale does? If you haven't read Jonah, the whale swallows him for three days. And you know what's going on for three days? The whale is turning around and spitting Jonah out exactly where God wanted him to go. And God's sitting there saying, you going to tell me no again? If Jonah told him no, hey, I don't want to send a whale, but he'd have got something after him. You are going with me. And each one of these guys said, okay. And I want to say this too right here because I, I want to run out of time. But Judas wasn't a mistake. Judas, and you can read that in John, was exactly who God wanted him to pick. And God had a plan for Judas. These guys were already saved. Understand this. You can go back and see in, in Matthew 9, 9 where, where Matthew was saved. Matthew 4, 18 through 22 where John and, and Peter and and Andrew and James were saved. They were followers. They were in the crowd. They were in, the, in a distance from Jesus. They wasn't face to face with Jesus. They were at a distance from him. And now he's calling them to be. And you see that word, his 12 disciples. You will now be, and that word disciple means learners. That means you will, uh, this becomes their job. You will no longer be casting nets. You won't be taking up taxes. You're going to be my disciples. That means where I go, you go. You're with me now, guys. Come be face to face with me and everything I do, you do. You're going to hear everything I say. You're going to eat with me. We're going to stay all night out in, 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 the, in the desert together. Everywhere I go, you're going to go. And you're going to learn everything I do. That's what they are now. Face to face, living life with Jesus for three years. And that's how discipleship works. You know what the, you know what the best way to learn is? It's not in the classroom. I went to uh, seminary for three years in Lynchburg, and I sit in a lot of classrooms. I sit in a Greek class. 
I sit in Bible classes. I sit in church management classes. And I learn some things. But the best way to learn is not in the class, not in the 10-week Bible study, but face-to-face with somebody. It's the best way to learn. You guys know how that works. You can sit and learn from somebody. You can sit and take a class on carpentry. You can YouTube carpentry. I YouTube everything. Toilet broke, YouTube. I mean, whatever it is, you, you, you can find it all on YouTube. But you know what? A little video on YouTube isn't going to teach me how to get in there and do what I need to do. You know who is? A carpenter who's been there and done that for 30 years, showing me with his hands, with his mind, watching everything that he does. I want to see it hands-on, first-hand experience. That's how you train a carpenter. That's how, you, that's how you train your kids. I can sit and teach my boys over and over and over certain things and do Bible studies with them, but they're going to learn the most. And I love that my boys are becoming just like me. Steph doesn't like it, but I love it. <laughs> you watch Isaiah, and I'm like, that's, that's my boy. <laughs> yeah. He left a sermon last week, and, and he, he was looking at some people uh, at the basketball game he said, Dad, I had compassion on them. <laughs> I was like, that's my boy. <laughs> Christian, the same way. You watch him out there on the basketball court, and I'm sitting there, and he's you know, talking trash and, and doing things that I would have done. Where did they learn that from? <laughs> Following me every step of the way. That's how Jesus trained his disciples. It wasn't with coffee and a Bible around some table. It was life on life. You live with me. You talk to me. You hear me pray. You listen to me preach. That's how they learned from Jesus. They were with Jesus. That's how we learn. You must be with someone to learn. You cannot, and this is a thing that we have to deal with in our culture today, you cannot be discipled through a screen. You cannot be discipled through a screen. I can YouTube how to fix something and I can YouTube sermons and learn how to preach. But you can't really learn it unless you're life on life with somebody. When I, I'm running out of time, I'm still on point one. This is going to be like a ten point sermon. When I was wanted to, when I was called to preach, God called me to preach. I had a preacher that told me, he said, most people in the world never do anything well. He said, I want you to pick one thing and do it well. And I said, if God's going to call me to preach, that's what I want to do well. So I'm going to find the best preachers that I can find. And I'm not going to listen to them on YouTube. I'm going to be around them. I've got uncles that are preachers. I want to rub shoulders with those uncles. I got a pastor that I hadn't found. I'm going to rub shoulders with him. And he, he, I probably annoyed him to death. Everywhere he went, guess what? Guess who was right behind him? Old Josh right there, you know. He went to the hospital. Here's Josh. He was eating lunch at the, at, the, at the Pizza King. There's Josh. Everywhere he went, I went. Every time he prayed, I was there. Everywhere. And then I get here, and I'm like, you know what? I need to rub shoulders with somebody else. I'm going to go. I don't want to listen to these preachers on YouTube. I'm going to fly to California. <laughs> and I want to rub shoulders with the best of the best of the best. I want to listen to them pray. I want to see how they treat their wives and how they treat their kids. I want to see how they handle the sermons and how they put them all together. I want to be around the best. I want to rub shoulders and be influenced by the best. That's how you learn. Now I ask this question and I'll move on. Who are you rubbing off on? As Christians, we should be rubbing off on somebody in a good way. <laughs> I'll turn that around and say this. Who's rubbing off on you? That is the scariest thing for my kids. I've got Isaiah sitting here and Gracie sitting there. I am more concerned about who's rubbing off on them than anything else in life. If they get bad friends that's rubbing off and they're rubbing shoulders with bad friends and they're going to bad places and they're hearing bad things, they're going to end up doing those things. And Christians, if you are listening to, hanging out with, and being influenced by bad people, you're going to be a bad person. 
these disciples were called to Jesus and spent three years learning from him. There's nobody better to rub off on than Jesus rubbing off on his disciples. That's what they call him to be a disciple. That's discipleship. That's how it works. So that's the selection. That's point number one. It took me 20 minutes. We'll hurry through these next. Here's the service of the twelve. Here's what they were called to do. I, I like this. Because he didn't just call them over and say, live with me and, and walk with me and eat with me and pray with me. And he said, here's what I want you to do. And you can see that in verse chapter 10, verse 1. When he called unto them his twelve disciples, look what he did. I'm gonna, I, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And then he calls them apostles. So here's, here's what he does here. I want you to show, first of all, he calls them apostles. I want you to notice that. In the, in the first part of the verse, verse 1, he says these are 12 disciples. And then in verse 2, he calls them apostles. This is, this is a big deal here because apostle means someone who's going to be sent out. So they're not just going to stay with Jesus for three years and, and be right there around him doing, their, 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 doing what he does and following him everywhere. They, they will eventually be sent out. They'll go from disciple, which is a learner, to a, an apostle who goes out and does what he tells them to do. You can't just learn all the time, and that's what he does. He doesn't send out novices. He sends out people that are trained. So he's going to train them for three years and then send them out. You must mature before you do ministry. You must grow before you go. So he's going to disciple them, and they'll be disciples for three years. And then they will be apostles and they'll be sent out to do what he tells them to do. And what will they do? They'll go out as his official representatives with that apostle title, a great title of respect and honor to be an apostle. Probably the highest biblical office. You, it is the highest biblical office you can have, apostle. He's going to send them out and they are going to do this. Matthew 3.14 says he sends them out to preach. Matthew 10.7 here says, look at it, it says, And as you go preach so he's going to send them out to preach that's what they're going to be that's who they are what were the prophets preachers what was john the baptist a preacher what was jesus a preacher so these guys are going to be preachers he sends them out to to preach all 12 of these guys that he's going to call will be preachers they followed him they copied him they preached like him these guys were the voices of the early church they preached like he preached. I bet you they preached his sermons. I bet you they copied his sermons. I bet you Jesus had three-point outlines. <laughs> and that they sit and wrote these things down. Do you know how I know they wrote them down? Because we have them in a book. And they would sit and write down his sermons. And then they would write them down in a book. And they would write them down. And they'd stand up and preach. Here's what Jesus said. This ain't my words. This isn't my sermon. Here's what we heard from Jesus. We were with him. We were around him. Here's what he said. And they heralded out the message. They, they preached the gospel. Verse 7 says, and as you go preach, saying. Here's the, here's the message. Look at verse 7. I would highlight that. What was their message? <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Same thing Jesus preached. We don't have to go back there. But the doors of the kingdom are wide open. Jesus preached it. The doors of the kingdom are open. And you can come in. And you can be my child. And you can be in my kingdom. He says, when you go out, tell them that the doors of the kingdom is wide open. And that's what they did. You can read Acts, the, the book of the early church, and it's full of sermons. We, we preach through it. It's sermon after sermon after sermon. And what were they saying? The kingdom of God is at hand. Enter in. The door is wide open. You're, you're towing the line. You can enter in. Believe in Jesus and you can be saved. They were preaching the gospel. I can apply this. The greatest need in the church today is preachers. He still calls preachers. We have preachers today who like to entertain. We have preachers today who play in the pulpit. We have preachers today who stand up and they don't proclaim the kingdom is at hand. They, they claim or proclaim whatever it is they want to proclaim. The greatest need in the church today is preachers who will preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you can enter in. We don't let surgeons play around, do we? Anybody? Anybody going to go into surgery and that guy's got a scalpel and he's like, well, what are you going to do today? I mean, we'll get in there and see what we're going to do today. 
You don't do that. You don't let a pilot play around. You get up in a pilot just, just flying all over the place, you know. Let's take a tumble. You don't do that. Why do churches let preachers play around? The greatest need of the church today is preachers. To preach the kingdom is at hand. The door is wide open. So they go and they preach. And why should they listen to these guys? But hang with me. Why should they listen to these guys? I mean, we've already said these guys are ordinary. They're common. They're everyday. They're, they're nobody spectacular at all. They're a bunch of fishermen and a bunch of farmers and a bunch of tax collectors. These guys are common, everyday people. Why should anybody listen to them? That's probably what some people say with me up here. Why should I listen to that guy? Other than my mom. You guys are saying, why should I listen to that guy? Here's how you know these guys should be listened to. Look what he says. And he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. So he gave them power to heal all these things. He's going to face, they're going to go out there and they're going to face demonic activity and they'll have power that's given to them from Jesus to cast out those demons. And they're going to face sickness and when they go out there and they, they heal sicknesses, that's the confirmation that that's who I'm going to listen to. If you have, if you have two preachers standing up in this time, and one is proclaiming a message, and the other is complaining, uh, proclaiming uh, the exact opposite message. And you're sitting there saying, I don't know who to listen to. And this guy over here is casting out demons and healing all kinds of diseases, and he has all kinds of signs and miracles and wonders that he's doing. I don't know about you, but I'm going to listen to the guy that seems like God has his hand on him. And that's how they went out. They didn't want to listen to people who God didn't have his hand on. They're going to listen to those who are casting out demons and working miracles. So he gave them power to do these great things. Why should I believe your message? Because of the miracles. So Jesus chose them. Jesus taught them. Jesus sent them out. And when he sends them out, he gives them power. And they, the power proves the message. You say, how do we know? This is a good question. I'm going to apply it and we'll move on. How do we know who to listen to today? Got a guy over here saying one thing and a guy over here saying another. Who should I listen to, Josh? And I'm not just saying today that we have two people saying things. We have thousands of people saying different things. This information age that we have today is good for some because you can get the good message out to the whole world faster than we've ever been able to before. But you can also get a false message out to the whole world. Somebody can post the, a false gospel on Facebook and get 1,000 likes like that. It goes out. So who do we listen to, Josh? Should we find miracles? Should I listen to the guy who can cast out demons? Should I listen to the guy who can heal all manner of diseases? No, 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 no. That's not how it works today. We don't need those things today. Their message was confirmed by the miracles and the signs and the wonders that they did. So we know that what they said is true. And what they said now is written in this book right here. So how do I know who to listen to? You listen to the person who is most aligned with what this says. That's who you listen to. You say, I don't, know, I, I don't know it well enough. Well, there you go. In Acts chapter 2, when all these people got saved at Pentecost, it says that they all gathered together and they studied the apostles' doctrine. They studied what these 12 men taught. And that's how you're able to tell the true and the false. It's not the miracles, the signs, and the wonders, and the casting out demons it's how closely we align ourselves with this book right here. It is the apostles' doctrine. These 12 who rubbed shoulders with Jesus, these 12 who lived with Jesus, who, who was around him, who heard him, who saw his miracles, who, who knew everything that he said, you know what they did? They took all of that and they wrote it down in a book for us. Matthew is one of the disciples. What's the book we're studying right now? Matthew. John, one of the disciples, wrote John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, John, Revelation. Peter, Peter, the, the, the Gospel of Luke was, was basically written because Peter told Luke what to say. 
We have first and second Peter. I mean, these guys all sit down and wrote down what was said. We have firsthand experience what Jesus said, what Jesus did from the twelve that he chose. I don't need miracles today because I have the message. Can I say that again before I move to the last point? I don't need, because people say that I need a miracle to confirm. I've got a book full of miracles that confirm every word they said. I don't need miracles today when I have their message. And now, let's look at the last two verses here. It took me 45 minutes to get through verse 1. That's why you said no, no 10 points, right? That's, that's verse 2. So we've seen the selection of the 12. We've seen the service of the 12. Now I want to show you the specifics of the 12. We get down to who they are. Uh, we, we get to see who are these guys. And this is the first time we get to meet them. I mean, here, here they are. I mean, and I'm sure you guys know a handful of them, but you don't know all of them. So let's go down through here and just and, and read these guys in these two verses. Uh, they, this, this same list is given five times in the Bible, and it's the same list all five times. And here we are in verse 2. He gives this list. I want you to notice just before we read it, uh, there's three groups in this, three groups of four. Math says that, that turns into 12. Three groups of four. So you'll have the, the first group, which is, you'll see that there, Peter and Andrew and James and John. That's the first group. And as you go through this, the first group is the ones that were closest to Jesus. It works, in, in, it's, works itself out in, in closest to the furthest away. So the first group of four are the closest to Jesus. They go up to the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. I mean, these, these guys were, were the closest even inside that group of twelve. Peter being the, the closest of all of them. Look, look what it says. It starts out with, with Peter. And then we will get to the second group in verse 3. And they're kind of the middle group, the middle child. We don't know much about them, but we know a little about them. And then you get to the last group, and they're the farthest away from Jesus all the way to the end. When, who's, on, who's on the outside there? Judas Iscariot. He's the furthest away because he's not even saved. So that's how these groups work. So let's look at it. Just go through this list. The first... That won't, that won't take long. The first, Simon, who is called Peter. Simon is his name. His nickname was Peter, which means the rock. It's his nickname. I love as you go through this that it tells their nicknames. This is a group of guys that are fishermen that all get along, all hang out together, and it's so personal and so intimate that when Matthew writes this down, he says, here's Simon. We called him Peter, which means the rock. Jesus gave these guys nicknames. He knew them so well and lived so long with them. That's what guys do. You hang out in the locker room and you'll start giving each other nicknames. You're going to know stuff about each other. And some of this stuff is going to be funny. Jesus gave Peter this nickname not because he was a rock, but because he wanted him to be a rock. Here's what I want you to be. Peter was the, the leader of all of the disciples. He was the alpha dog. Jesus actually said about Peter, Peter, Satan has asked if he could sit, wants to sift you as wheat. Satan always goes after the lead dog. Peter was the one under most temptation. He was the one under most persecution. If he could get Peter, he could take down the whole group. And then here's Peter's brother, Andrew. Both of these guys were fishermen. Andrew was the first disciple that Jesus called. We don't know much about Andrew, but he stayed in the background, stayed hidden. He, was, he played the second fiddle well. And he was also the first disciple to be killed. He had his head cut off with a sword. Then you have James and John. I put these two guys together, uh, both because they're called the, the sons of thunder. <laughs> uh, these, the, these guys are also fishermen. And they are hotheads. That's why he calls them the sons of thunder. Jesus gave them that nickname. I mean, there, there's, there's James and there's John. He said, you guys are hotheads. I'm going to call you sons of thunder. He said, why did he say that? Because they got mad one time and said, Jesus, let's call down fire from heaven on those guys. Jesus said, cool it, guys. Man alive. You guys are sons of thunder. Now everybody in the group says sons of thunder. I mean, that's how guys work. They probably didn't like it, you know. Sons of Thunder. <laughs> you guys didn't like that. I think it's funny. Maybe you don't know how guys work, but that's how it goes. I mean, even in the church right now, I have a group of guys that we pick at each other. 
I mean, Tommy calls me old all the time. <laughs> old man, you know. And then the next, let's just go, we're going to the next group. Philip, Bartholomew, Nathaniel is, is, is his name. Thomas, we know a little bit about, about, about Thomas. He was a, uh, Thomas the Doubter. He was a negative person. You guys know anybody like that? He always doubted everything. I mean, just you, I mean, that's how some people are. They're just so negative. They're so pessimistic. Every time something happens, like I don't, I don't that ain't gonna work out. <laughs> I, I have, there's people like that in every church. That you try to do something, the first thing they're gonna say is, "That's silly. That ain't gonna happen. That ain't working." They're just a pessimistic doubter. I, I can't believe that. You know that. And, and then when it doesn't work out, they're the first to say, "Told you so." That's Thomas. I mean, these, these guys are common, ordinary men. And then Matthew, Matthew was a tax collector, you guys know that. He had tons of money, but he stole from people, that's what he did. And then James, let's just keep going down the list, I'm going to run out of time. James, the son of Alphaeus, this is funny, because if you, if you go and read the other times that James, this James is mentioned, the son of Alphaeus, he is uh, called James the Less, which means James the Macro, that's what the Less is, that's the word, it's in Greek, it's Macro. It means James was... Little James. He was a tiny little man. So they had James over here that, that, that was another disciple. And when they looked at this guy, how are we going to keep these guys apart? He's big and he's tiny. We're going to call him James the Less. He's the smaller one. James the Micro. So even Jesus looked at him and said, James the Less. And then you had, let's get to the next one. Labius, whose surname was Thaddeus. This guy's name was Judas. He was, they had two Jameses and two Judases in the same group. And this guy said, do not call me Judas. So he took the name Thaddeus, which means mama's boy. They called him mama's boy. I mean, they just, that's what they did. He was clubbed to death. That's just a sidebar. He had Simon the Zealot. They call him here Simon the Canaanite. He was a terrorist. He, he was against the government. You guys know that time? <laughs> I mean, just, just all the time. The government's bad. The government's bad. And he was so bad that these zealots would carry around a little bitty knife with them, and they would walk around. This is who he was. They would walk around in crowds, and they would stab the Roman governors. Anybody in Rome that worked for Rome, that were servants of Rome, they'd sit there and they'd stab them in the back. That's where that comes from. Walk around and walk away. Nobody knew who did it. That's who he was. Boy, Jesus picked a crew, didn't he? A motley crew. And then last, you had Judas. I'm going to do a Bible study on all 12 of these at some point. You had Judas. And every time Judas is mentioned, it's always added, the one who betrayed me. He will forever be known as the one who betrayed Jesus. So just looking at this list, I've got 10 minutes to finish this out. It's so different, so diverse, you had a tax collector on one end who had all kinds of money. And you had fishermen. At least four, maybe even as many as six fishermen. Just common, everyday guys. You had also, let me show you this and, and I'll move on. You had on one end, you had this tax collector who worked for the Roman government. And took taxes from Jews. And then on this other end, you had Simon the Zealot who walked around and may have stabbed people who worked for Rome. And Jesus over here, I mean, you've got Simon the Zealot over here who's sitting there angry at the government. And you've got this guy, Matthew, over here who's working for the government, tax collecting, IRS. And Jesus said, I'll take you and I'll take you. That's like he's saying, I'll take a Republican and I'll take a Democrat. These guys are going to be like that right there, are they not? He's like, I'm going to put you two together. That's what happens in the church. These guys were not joining a social club. They were united with one common bond. Their love and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you, we all in here may have different viewpoints and we may have different ideas and we may have different backgrounds and you, you, you may be doing all kinds of different things and, and just, you may be, I'm from Pound, you may be from somewhere else. You may be sitting out there saying, I never liked anybody from Pound. Does anything good come from Pound? <laughs> 
But the one thing that brings us all together in this place, whether you be from Pound or Big Stone or Appalachia or Lee County or Wise or Norton or wherever you come from, the one thing that binds us all together here is our love and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we start dividing and separating and churches that split, you know why they do so? Somebody somewhere has lost their love and devotion of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we see in this group, they wasn't well-to-do. They wasn't scribes and Pharisees. They was not theologically trained. They wasn't rabbis or elite. They were just rugged fishermen and farmers. I like that they probably knew how to work. They knew how to roll up their sleeves and get something done. They were a lot like us. Let me give you a few characteristics of them and I'll close. Watch this. Just as I went through the Gospels and, and I, I studied some commentaries this week, and here's some characteristics of these guys that reminded me so much of me. They say in a, in a sermon that the pastor should never make himself out to be the hero of the story. I'm not making myself out to be the hero. I'm making myself out to be the zero. These guys remind me so much of me. And to be honest, they remind me of you. Look what it's... Just, just follow with me. Number one is they were slow to learn. <laughs> Jesus taught them and taught them and taught them every day for three years. And over and over in the Gospels, you'll find him looking at them saying, Have you not heard? He would look at them and say, Don't you get it yet? He would look at him in the, in the upper room. One of the disciples said, show us the Father. And he said, have I been so long with you and you don't get it yet? Three years I've been telling you guys and you still don't get it. That's exactly like me. You can tell, I mean, it's like, like my kids. I can tell them over and over and over and over and over. And let me add another one. And over. And they still don't get it. And it makes me so impatient. But Jesus with these guys and Jesus with us is so, so, so patient with our slowness to learn. You know how Jesus deals with our slowness to learn? Get this. He keeps teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching and understands that one day we'll get it. I can look out in the crowd of people in church sometimes and I can say, why don't they get it? I said it last week. I said it the week before. You said, why do preachers repeat themselves? If you got it, <laughs> I wouldn't have to repeat myself. Why does Jesus repeat himself in the Gospels? If we got it, he wouldn't have to repeat himself. We are so slow to learn that it's over and over and over. And we are so thick-skulled. And we are, are so just I mean, stubborn and stiff-necked. But Jesus, just impatience, over and over and over and over. I learned from this that as a pastor, you know what I need to do? Just keep preaching and preaching and preaching. Second thing, they were selfish. They were so full of pride and ego. I mean, you remember the story when the ones that are closest to Jesus went and asked him, and they didn't really even ask him. They, they said, Mom, <laughs> will you go ask Jesus who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Who's going to be sitting beside you full of selfishness and pride and ego? They were also, I mean, does that not sound like us? We get so self-centered sometimes. They were short on faith. The most common thing Jesus said to them was, Oh, ye of little faith, why don't you believe me? I've got Mark 4 early on when he first calls them. He looks at them and says, Oh, ye of little faith. And then you turn to Mark 16 when it's all said and done and he's getting ready to leave and he looks at him and you know what he says? Oh, ye of little faith. I think sometimes he looks down at me and he looks down at all of us and he says, you guys, so little faith. Have you not seen? Have you not heard? I'll give you another one. They were scared to death half the time. They were powerless and they were helpless. I love that Peter would stand up one day and say, I'll never deny you, Jesus, boldly. You know, he says, that nothing can turn me away. The very next day, he says, I don't know Jesus. <laughs> Sounds like us. 
When it's good, we're sitting there saying, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus and I'll never back off. And the next day when something bad happens, it's like, oh no, I don't even know where I'm standing. And the last thing they were was they were sporadic. These guys were all over the place. Jesus was resurrected and he went looking for them. Where did he find them at? Out in the boat fishing. They were fickle, untrustworthy, unfaithful, wavering, uncommitted. Does that not sound like all of us? Here today and gone tomorrow, committed today and not the next day, we're all over the place. Jesus, I mean, he could come back at any time. He's going to find us not busy at work, but out, out fishing somewhere. They sound a lot like us. I don't know about you guys, but I can't seem to get it right half the time. I'll get three steps ahead and move eight steps back. And Jesus is so patient with them. And he has been so patient with us. I love that the song says he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, sun and the earth, Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. He looked at those guys at the, at the end when he was getting ready to leave and he said, I pray for you. John 17. I pray not for them in the world, but I pray for these. These guys. And that's what he does for us now. You know how we make it? By the prayer and power of Jesus. Do these guys look like they'll be able to do the job that God's called them to do? I mean, if you ask me, I say no. But I want to ask you to turn to one more place, and I'll close. I know this is a little different sermon than what we've... Acts chapter 4. A little different sermon than what I, I, we usually preach here. But I think it's, it's very informative and good for us. We can see ourselves in this. These guys were not supernatural. These guys were not saintly. These guys were not stained glass window Christians. They were regular old guys like you and me. And look what he did with them. I mean, if you ask me, and God left the keys to the kingdom in their hands, it's like me giving the keys to my car to Isaiah. It's not going to end well. Sorry, Isaiah. But watch what they do with it. Acts chapter 4, very early on after Jesus ascended, and he hands the keys over to them. Here, guys. Here's the, the keys to the kingdom. Verse 7, when they had set them in the midst, they asked, here they are in court, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole. You know what they did? They made an impotent man walk. Who else did that? Jesus. So they go out and they're, they're doing the same thing he did. And the, and the rulers look at him and say, who told you you could do that? <laughs> I love this. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that's the name we come in. We are apostles. We are the representatives of Jesus Christ. By that man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by Him. It's not our power, it's by Him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has now become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. Great verse. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and saw that they were, get this, unlearned and ignorant men. The word in the Greek for ignorant, it's not really, but I like this, ignoramus. They were ignorant. They were unlearned. They had no letters for school. They marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been rubbing shoulders with Jesus. There is no greater compliment in the world than for somebody to say, it looks like they've been with Jesus. And they go out to do what he's called them to do, 
and everybody looks at them and says, they are ordinary, common, everyday people. Ignorant, unlearned nobodies. But I'll tell you what, they look like they've been with that man, Jesus. May it be said of every single one of us. Amazing statement. They look like they've been with Jesus. They preached like Jesus. They acted like Jesus. They prayed like Jesus. Everything they did like Jesus and they finished the task that's just the beginning in Acts I don't have to take you through unless you guys want me to we can just go all through Acts the rest of this sermon but I, I can just tell you what happened in Acts 17 they, it says they turned the world upside down are you with me we started the sermon with this great task and in Acts 17 it says they, they turned the world these men are they who have turned the world upside down Acts 28, the very last verses, you know what they've done? They've reached the ends of the earth. They have made it as far as you can go. As far as their eyes could see, that's where the gospel has went. And here we are in 2019, and you know what we have? We have the apostles' message. God has taken these ordinary men, and He's done extraordinary things in them and through them, so that now, not only did the world at that time hear the gospel, but here we stand by the gospel that they preached. 2019. 2019, and we're still preaching the apostles' message. How did that happen? Fishermen, zealots, tax collectors, nobodies. How did it happen? Jesus took ordinary men and done extraordinary things with them. And every one of these men, faithful to the end, dying a martyr's death. So there's no question, after looking at all these ordinary men and seeing this extraordinary mission, it had to be God. That's the only explanation. Only Jesus can take ordinary men like you and me and do extraordinary things like this. I stand up here today and I may not be great and I may not be good, but Jesus took a very ordinary man, a very common man, a very earthly man, a very nothing nobody man and said, I'm going to make him a preacher. He took us that are sinners, and this is where I'm not moving the sermon to, us who are deep and dead in our trespasses and sin, us who are in the pit of sin, us who couldn't do anything on our own to save ourselves, and he said, I'm going to save you so that I can showcase to the whole world the saving power of Jesus Christ. We all stand here today as testaments of how Jesus can take a nobody and make them a somebody. Now, Jesus can take a sinner and make him a saint. That's who we are. That's the power of Jesus. And these guys are examples to us that we can live lives of ordinary, everyday faithfulness. One ordinary man can make a massive difference. One, I know I'm way over time, one ordinary church can make a massive difference. We don't have to be extraordinary. I tell people that all the time. They'll say, hey, what's your church like? <laughs> we preach. We, we want to be good at one thing here. Preaching Jesus. How long do you preach? An hour and four minutes. <laughs> and here's the next question I often get. Do you have anybody come for that? God can take an ordinary church that preaches an extraordinary gospel and He can do amazing things. All I want to be is an ordinary man that lives an ordinary life for an extraordinary Savior and let Him do whatever He wants to do with me. And I want to be an ordinary church in these mountains of Virginia and He can take this church and do whatever He wants to do with it. We don't have to be extraordinary. We don't have to be out of this world. We just have to do what he says. And he'll do what he wants to do with us. What an example for us today. Just being ordinary, everyday, common men and women of Christ. And he can take us and do extraordinary things. Now I want to say this too. Not only is this an example for us, but it's also an exception for us. Because there's one of these men who wasn't saved. There's always one in the crowd. And that's the scariest thing in the world for me. 
there's always one in the crowd. Judas was the saddest and the scariest, scariest individual in the history of the world. That you could be that close and yet that far away. You could be sitting here today within earshot of the gospel of Jesus Christ and still not be saved. You could sit, you, you get this, Judas preached. Judas was the money handler. You know who the only guy who wasn't ordinary in that group? Judas. Judas had power. He performed miracles. Judas was with Jesus, heard him pray, heard him preach. Judas had the greatest opportunity in the history of the world, and he turned and walked away from it. And I stand here today to look at you and say somebody in here is, is just like Judas. You've been in the church. You've seen the miracles in the Bible. You've heard the gospel. You are within earshot of it every week, but you've never truly been saved. That is the scariest and the saddest thing in the world. So if you're here today and that's you, and you're sitting there saying, that I may be the one in the 12 who's not right, you need to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ today. The kingdom is wide open for you. The door is wide open, and all you have to do is believe in Jesus, and you can be saved. So do that today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, using ordinary men like me and like us. We're, we're not extraordinary, but you are. The only extraordinary man in the Bible was the Lord Jesus Christ, and we praise him and thank him for using and saving ordinary men and women like us. And God, I pray if there's one in here this morning who is like Judas, who is the, the one who has the greatest privilege, but has not yet believed that they would today say, I might be that one, and they would be saved. God bless this invitation time, and we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name.